0: Imagine a speech. Okay, you want to be a Christian, you want to be a Christ follower, you want to join our club. Okay, good. Come on in. But no, as soon as you become a Christ follower, your life is going to stink. Imagine, that's your sales pitch.
1: Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today we'll hear about the early followers of Christ, the first church. As the story series continues with Pastor Jeff teaching from the book of Acts.
0: It wasn't merely the way they lived that inspired so many people, it was the way they died. So these are people who were really sold out for what they believed in and they changed the world. This is Today with Jeff Vines. We've been in a series called "The Story," and for those of you who are new, we've gone through the major narratives all the way from the Book of, of Genesis, very first book of the Old Testament, and we're aiming all the way through the New Testament to the Book of Revelation. Right now, we're in Acts, and uh, it's been a great story. And we've learned that God's story primarily is a love story. It's a story of God reaching down to us, compelling us into relationship with Him. And when you look around at all the good things in the world and the good things in your life, there's something about you that's supposed to say, you know what? Uh there's a God who is sovereign over everything. And in him we live and we move and we have our being. And we're supposed to be compelled in that relationship and The more we're compelled to it, the more we're supposed to get to know the God who created us. Now you say, well, hold on, Pastor Jeff, Uh, what about all the bad in my life? Well, even that is a way to compel you toward God, because the bad things that happen remind you that things are not the way they ought to be. And you know that down deep inside. You know that there's something beyond what is here and now. Otherwise, you wouldn't be so dissatisfied with what is here and now. Both sides work together to compel you toward God. Uh, Whether you realize it or not, or whether you even kind of have thought through it or not. Uh, there's something down inside you that tells you that things are not the way they ought to be and you yearn for something else and you yearn for something else because something else exists. Now, as you get closer and closer to God, you start to notice that he's holy and that you're not. I just want you to know again that there's, there's nobody in this room on this stage or on this stage back here that are not sinners. We're all sinners, all of us. I am, you are, we are together. And we need a savior before we're going to come into relationship with God. That's what you discover. As God compels you toward him, you realize he's a lot more holy than you ever thought. And you're a lot less holy than you ever realized. And so the more you meet God, it's like Isaiah. Woe is me. I am undone. I am broken into a million pieces. I'm shattered. I'm in the presence of a holy God. And so God, the love story continues by sending his son. He sends what is most precious to him so that he can do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And he dies for your sins so that you and I can now come into the presence of God. And that's why when Jesus was crucified, the curtain in the temple was torn into and now you and I can go into the Holy of Holies. We can go into the presence of God, not, based, not because you're good, but because Jesus paid the penalty your sin is due. And now you and I can come into the presence of the Father. And then the story continues because God takes these people who will humble themselves and who will realize that they're not that good, that we are all sinners in need of grace and mercy. And he sends what is most precious to him, his son. We're forgiven. He takes that group of people and he starts what we call the ekklesia, the called out ones, the church. And it's an interesting little band of of believers. And they end up changing the entire world. I mean, literally, the world in their day is, is, is changed. This motley crew of believers, these little uneducated disciples, other than the apostle Paul, who will become an apostle, very well educated and who will write most of the New Testament. But this band of believers... They're changed. And they're changed because for those who call on the name of the Lord, for those who are SVP to God's invitation, those who repent and say they're sorry and verbalize their trust in Christ and plunge their past, you Trekkies will love this. We mentioned this before, you Star Trek fans. In the Genesis Project, they would shoot this torpedo down into a lifeless planet and they would inject life into it and make what was previously uninhabitable inhabitable and they would colonize it for humanity. And now... Jesus comes along and says, I'm going to shoot a spiritual torpedo into you and I'm going to reorganize you and I'm going to change what you do and what you want to do and I'm going to give you power over sin and you're going to live the abundant life. And so Jesus says, I'm not only going to give my life for you, I'm going to put my life, I'm going to inject my life into you and it's going to change, it's going to give you power over sin and death. And this little community believed that so much. They embraced the power, and they literally changed the world. They started having compassion for people. They started treating everyone with equality, men, women, black, white, Greek, Jew, whatever. They were the first uh, little band of people to say, you know what? And because everybody's created in the image of God, everybody's equal. And so, again, women, you have God to think for that. You have Christianity to think for that. Before him, you were a subsequent secondary citizen of society. Jesus came along, the Christians changed that. They've not always gotten it right, but they were the ones to change it. And as much as we're like Jesus, we treat everyone with equality. Now, this little group, the whole world started responding to them in one of two ways. The first group, people just wanted to get in. You know, I read a a report by CNN. Believe it or not, this comes from a CNN article. Okay? It says the Christians, it wasn't merely the way they lived that inspired so many people. It was the way they died. So these are people who were really sold out for what they believed in and they changed the world. They gave compassion where compassion had not been given. They gave forgiveness. They actually prayed for their enemies. They prayed for God to bless those who persecuted them. And then there was another group of people. Some wanted to get in, others wanted to get out and they wanted to kill the Christians. And guess who they were? The religious people. It was the religious people, first of all, who persecuted the Christians, not the Romans. Why? Because if God is truly merciful and kind and forgiving, then religion is out of a job. Because religion says you have to earn your way to the Father. Jesus taught, no, you don't. Everything that needed to be done for you was done by Jesus on the cross. And you still serve, but you serve out of gratitude, not out of a tip to earn merits to get to heaven. And so the religious people wanted the Christians dead because grace and mercy means religion's out of a job. Now, what I want to do, I want to take you through Acts, just a little section. The book of Acts is written uh, by a physician and a historian by the name of Luke and the research he did on the early church. And it tells us about the early church. And just in these few verses, you learn, you learn six things that they understood. And I never ask you to write things down. When I ask you to write these things down, they're going to be on the board. Six things, because here's, here's why I want you to do this. Because it is my opinion that we are... Listen, this is hard to handle. And I'm going to say we, not you. We're all in this together. So anything I say this weekend about you is about me too. You and I, we together, we are so far removed from the first church. And I'm, I'm, I'm scared. I, I, I'm a little frightened. I wake up sometimes and I wonder, do I even know what I'm supposed to be? Do I even know what the first church was like? Am I so far removed that... I, I I mean, how does God look at me? How does God look at us? Because there's some things they understood that I don't think I understand. And if I don't understand it, then I'm responsible because I'm not leading you in that area. And then together, if we don't understand, listen, the, the point is, if we were the early, if we were the church that first begun, two things would happen. Number one, there's a lot of people that hate church that would be in this if we were like we were supposed to be. You wouldn't be able to keep the doors closed. Because it's the thing in the world, it's the thing people are looking for. But the farther we get away from what the church was intended to be, the less likely we are to make any kind of impact or change in the world. And these people understood this early church. Let me read the text. It says that apostles were called in and they flogged them. In other words, they, they punished them, 39 lashes. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they released them. So they went from, this is the Christians now, they went from their way On their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is Messiah. No matter what you did to this early church, they weren't going to stop proclaiming the good news. That's the first thing. The first Christians understood that following Jesus and proclaiming the gospel were inextricably tied together. That there was no such thing as a closet Christian. They understood if you're a Christ follower, man, the world knows it. You, know, you present it gently and kindly and mercifully, but the world knew it. And they knew it because you were so overwhelmed with the story that you had to tell. You, you could not help but to speak of what you've seen and heard because you were you were experiencing right then and there what Jesus was doing in your life every day. And then when, as he worked in your life, you had to tell somebody. Look, it's like, it's like having a cure for cancer. If you, had, if, if you had a cure for cancer, would you keep it to yourself? I mean... To think that you could give somebody the key that would stop chemotherapy and stop the cells dying in humanity and the, 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 the cancer that's sweeping our world and so many deaths by it. Men, women, children, nobody is immune. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you give the cure? Well, these Christians thought they had a cure for something more important than the external, the physical. They had a cure for something that was killing the soul. And because they had had this spiritual torpedo come on the inside of them, They had Jesus working in their lives every day, every single day. And they couldn't wait to say, here's what God is doing. And can I ask you just quickly, is that you? Is is Jesus doing anything remarkable in your life? And you say, well, no, but that's not my fault. Yes, it is. The reason Jesus was doing so much work in their lives was because they were giving themselves away to a purpose greater than themselves. And the more you serve, listen, what is Jesus most famous for? Come on now, his miracles? No, 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 he's most famous for dying on the cross. That's why the cross is still the most recognized symbol in the world, right? So when you give yourself away, that's when God starts doing great things in your life. If you live for self-preservation and self-promotion, you're never gonna experience God the way he's meant to be experienced. That's why we've said in the past, obedience always precedes the miraculous. These were people who were obeying no matter what it costs, man, if they were going to be flogged, thrown into prison, it didn't matter because they had a story to tell. Do you have a story to tell of life change, of how God has changed you over the last 5, 10, 15 years and how God has melted your heart and you've become less selfish and more giving yourself away? Man, if we don't, if we don't have the story, the church has no message to preach and nobody's going to come in.
1: This is Today with Jeff Vines. Pastor Jeff is revealing what the first group of Christians did for their society, how things changed because of their love for everyone. Let's continue with Pastor Jeff.
0: In Acts chapter 5, verse 17, just a few verses before, think about this. They were in prison for speaking the truth and the angel came and broke them out of jail. And what did they do? Went right back out to the streets and started preaching again. Maybe God would break us out of jail if he knew we were going to go back out and start preaching again. Maybe he kind of leaves us in there because we're really no good use anyway. Now, I said we, I didn't say you. I said us, we. Man, if God could trust us to tell our story and to give ourselves away, I think he'd be a lot more inclined to free us in so many areas where we're bound Second, the first Christians understood that following Jesus brought imminent persecution. This is amazing to me. It says, after calling the apostles in, they flogged them. 39 lashes. Here's what's amazing about the first church. Here's the story right here, okay? If you want to get in, okay, imagine a speech. Okay, you want to be a Christian. You want to be a Christ follower. You want to join our club. Okay, good. Come on in. But no, as soon as you become a Christ follower, your life is going to stink. Imagine, that's your sales pitch. Now, internally, you're going to have an incredible peace and God's going to work in you and you're going to be excited. But externally, they're going to try to kill you. How many want to come? How many want to join? And they raised their hand in droves. I I talked to my friend, Ajay Law. There's a little place called Damo in the northern part of India. Now, southern India is mostly Christianized to some degree. But as soon as you go north, man... It's horrible, and the persecution of Christians is dramatic. Every year, because of what you give at this church, 72 pastors are trained. 72 pastors are trained each year. You feed them, you clothe them, you educate them. Now, you don't go there personally, but you fund that, okay? It's to the tune of somewhere around 100 grand a year that you give. Now, those 72 pastors are trained and then sent to Darjeeling. The reason they're sent up to Darjeeling in the Northern Territory is because these are where five unreached people groups are a lot of those pastors will never come back. Ajay Law told me that most of those pastors will be torched, beaten with iron rods, dipped in hydrochloric acid, raped and tortured. I said, well, what can we do? How, how can we pray? And Ajay sent me a message that said, they asked me to tell you this, Pastor Jeff, don't pray that the persecution will end. Pray that we will be brave and courageous enough to endure it because this is how the kingdom grows. Ooh. Can you imagine that? Don't pray that we stop being persecuted. You know, you can only say that if the primary goal in your life is the expansion of Christ's kingdom, no matter what the cost. That's not me. No. I mean, I like being in the kingdom and all that stuff. But man, you're asking me for my life. You think, well, Pastor Jeff, that's a one-off. Christians aren't being persecuted today. Man, where have you been? In Cambodia, still today, Christians are being tortured, killed, and denied jobs because of their faith. Pol Pot is gone, but the persecution remains. In China, Christian after Christian is arrested, tortured, and killed. There are three statements they make to every new believer. Number one, never turn down an opportunity to preach. Number two, look for a place to run when you're finished preaching. And three, be ready to die that day. And they do it. In Colombia, entire congregations are kidnapped, pastors are killed, churches are prohibited. In Cuba, homes to use for Christian gatherings are burned to the ground. In Egypt, Christians are blamed for the social ills. There is a policy of hate speech. Much like what Nero did to the Christians and blaming the fires of Rome, that's what happens in Egypt. Any social ill, blame the Christians, kill the Christians, persecute the Christians. In India... You're beheaded and burned and torched in Indonesia, Laos, Malaysia, Myanmar, Nigeria. In North Korea, right now, there are over a million Christians in concentration camps. A million Christians in concentration camps. Yeah, like of World War II, like the Holocaust. We've never actually been able to take any inside photos, but we do have drawings of people who have suffered and then escaped. And there are daily tortures and stonings and crucifixions just because you're a Christ follower. One million right now. In fact, the time it takes me to preach this message, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of Christians will die just because they're Christ followers. In Russia, there are regular brutal beatings of Christians. In the Sudan, they go into villages and they crucify women and children, nail them to trees just because they're Christ followers. Recently, the top 10 persecuted places, the watch list was released It's number one is North Korea, then Somalia, then Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia, Maldives, uh, Pakistan, Iran, and Yemen. And in these places, Christians die every day. And like I said, by the time it took me to read that list, some Christian somewhere died because of his faith or her faith. Now, here's the ironic thing about it. The places where Christians are being persecuted the most is where the church is thriving the greatest. You can't stop them. In Russia, now there are over 80 million Christians. 30 years ago, you've been lucky to find one Bible. Now everybody has one. God bless those Gideons. In China, 100 million Christians in China. 100 million and growing. In North Korea, 4 million Christians. 25% of all Christians are in concentration camps, but 4 million Christians and counting and growing And I remember what Ajay said, don't pray for the persecution to end. Pray that we will be brave and courageous enough to endure it. This is how the kingdom grows. And I look at those guys and I say, the real church is still existing on planet earth. It just may not be in America. That's hard to hear, isn't it? It's hard for me to hear. The first century church was like this. Christians plus persecution equals kingdom expansion. So bring it on. I would rather the kingdom of God be expanded and me suffer than me do no suffering and the kingdom of God stifle. What kind of people were these people? People that realize that hope is not here. That it is in what is yet to come. And so whatever I sacrifice and give up here is worth eternal glory. And whatever shame I experience here, I count it worthy. Or I counted a privilege that God saw me as worthy to suffer shame for his name. Here's the third thing. Christians understood that Jesus was the end that every human being is searching. Now, this is important. I have to develop this. Please stay with me. The first Christians understood that Jesus was the end for which every human being is searching. Acts chapter 5, verse 41, day after day. It said day after day. Not, not, Not once a week or once a month. Day after day. Every day they could not stop preaching and teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is Messiah. Now, why every day? you got to ask this question. Historians, by the way, look at this group of Christians and they think, my goodness, what, what's wrong with these? I mean, how did they, do how did they change the whole Greco-Roman world? It's, it's unfathomable. How, this motley crew, how did they do it? They spoke every day. Why did they speak every day? And they weren't, you know, they weren't standing out on street corners. You're going to hell. That's not what their message was like. They, they, they were out serving and giving compassion and with gentle and living a peaceable life, they were proclaiming the good news Why? Is it because they, well, it's where they got their significance. They had to have a purpose for which to live. Was that it? Maybe they had a lie to tell and it was giving them some kind of popularity. No, they were dying for it, man. They were dying for it. And they still did it because they, finally, on planet Earth, there was a group of people who actually loved people more than they did themselves. They actually cared more about others than they did about themselves. And when that happens, all kinds of people want to come in. By the way, the circumstantial evidence in the first century, it proves that fact, because the Christians started hospitals and hospices so people could die with dignity. And they were the first ones to come up with food pantry and feeding those who were less fortunate. Even though they cared so much about the physical external, they cared more about the soul.
1: This is Today with Jeff Vines. It's exciting to hear about the impact the first Christians had on their community. Join us again next time as we continue their journey in the story series.
0: The question in tough times for us is, can I really trust God? The question in the first church was, can God really trust me? me.
1: Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life.